Hi, I'm Patia, and I am an alcoholic. Hi, everybody. It gives me great pleasure to be among this crowd today. It's good turnout. I'm glad to see that. And it also gives me great pleasure to introduce this afternoon's speaker. I've known Joe for several years now, him and his wife, uh, and we've become really good friends. We run around a lot at conventions and even when we aren't at conventions. And that's one thing I like about this, these programs. It does bring people together, and I've made some really good friends. But I've never heard Joe's lead, so I'm really looking forward to it. And with that, I'd like to give you Joe S. from Huntingburg. My name is Joe Snyder, and I'm an alcoholic. And I'm going to try to do what the big book tells me to do, tell you what I was like, what happened, and what I'm like today. Can everybody hear me all right back in the back? Is that better? How's that? That's better? <clears throat> I never know where to get started in this because, uh, you know, I, I, if I talk too much about my childhood and my drunk, and then I don't get to talk about the program. Uh, I've been sober since November the 27th of 1979, and for that I'm grateful. Uh, And I'm nervous up here. I've never got to, to where I can come up here and talk without being nervous. I, that last couple of minutes before they introduced me, I start shaking, and it takes a while to get that out. But <clears throat> I was born in a family. I was the third child out of 13 children that was born in that family. And... Uh, Throughout uh, my childhood, there wasn't a lot of special events that went on. I, I had uh, the first part of my life, my first recollections of anything that was going on. My father was in uh, World War II, and uh, everything was just normal for a, for a child of uh, four or five years old. And I started in school at when I got old enough, and I, it was about a mile and a half or two miles to where the school building was, and I had to, to walk that a lot of times in the winter along with the rest of the, the children and a couple of teachers because the roads was bad. And it was an old school with uh, two rooms in it. And uh, really my, my recollection of that school was, was more recess time and, and lunch time because we went down over the hill and we were building a log cabin down there. And uh, we worked on that every day. <clears throat> and as, as it progressed, uh, the old man that uh, owned this land where we was building this cabin, he didn't want us to build it, so we got it up where we had to start at the window level and... and uh, and a little higher than that, and 
one day he came down there, and I forget how he was dressed or anything, but he he was down there when we got down there, either at recess or lunch, and he uh, scared us all, and we all run back to the school, and that was the end of her cabin building. <clears throat> but I, as as my school years went on, I I was a pretty good, uh, I guess, a A and B average until I got up to the fifth grade and uh, nothing spectacular happened or anything like that and I, I, I remember as I as I grew up after dad come back from uh, World War II and every once in a while he'd come home from from wherever he had been and he'd be drunk and uh, him and mom would get into an argument and, and I'd hear this cussing and screaming and hollering and carrying on and and cover my head up with the covers and the pillow and I could still hear it and finally I'd go back off to sleep and uh, and the next morning get up and go downstairs for breakfast and everything and everything was all right like it, nothing ever happened and it, it just bewildered me I did I didn't know what was going on. And it took me a long time to to realize what was going on, but as I grew grew up, I remember along every now and then uh, if there was something going on at the house and we their dad had some booze around, he'd give us a little taste of of uh, wine or or whiskey. He didn't generally have much wine around, but whiskey and beer and. Uh, but that was all all that I drank. I didn't have any any real bad uh, experiences with alcohol until I was I don't know ten or twelve years old. And I'd go to my grandmother's house for a couple of weeks in the early summer before uh, it got to be tobacco cutting time. I, I'm originally from Hancock County, Kentucky. That's where I was born, in, in Davis County, Kentucky, and. I, I had to work on the farm quite a bit back when I was young, but as I, uh, when I was going to my grandmother's, they had, they made homebrew all the time, and, they, and they'd give me a small bottle of homebrew. It's uh, supper time. Uh, we generally had a, had a, everybody had a bottle of homebrew with their supper, and uh, they'd give me one, and, uh, and everything was all right. This one night. And I, just, I don't know what age it was when I had my first drunk, but uh, they gave me this homebrew, and, and I drank it while I was eating supper. And, and a while after that, we were sitting around in the living room, as we always did, smoking. And they drove me a cigarette out of the old Rollins and handed me one, and I'd smoke it. <coughs> and... Uh, that night, my, my uncle had been to Owensboro that day, and he brought back a, a pint of whiskey. And he passed this bottle around, and it got to me, and they said, Do you want a, a, a sip? And I said, Yeah, I'll take one. And I turned the bottle up and took a pretty good drink. And a little while after that, <clears throat> I, it was bedtime, and I slept in the in the bed with my grandmother at the time, and she had a big feather bed. And I crawled up in this big feather bed and 
settle down in it, and about the time I got settled down good, that bed started spinning around and around, and and, uh, and the next thing I know, I was throwing up all over the bed, and and uh, and that was the end of it, except that my mother, or my grandmother, gave me a cushion for not getting out of the bed and running to the Johnny Pot or outside or something, or and she cussed my uncle for giving me the whiskey, and that's all all there was to it. But and up until. Well, I, I went on through school, and I, I graduated out of the eighth grade at, at Hallsville, Kentucky. And then we moved, and I had to start going to uh, Davis County Schools. And uh, I started going to Owensboro Davis County High in Owensboro. And uh, I, my grades up until I was through the eighth grade was just... Me, uh, mediocre, I guess you'd call it, or something. I was C average or something like that. After that fifth grade, and what happened in that fifth grade, I started to say something about that earlier, and it bypassed me. But anyway, in the fifth grade, I had an old feller that uh, was a teacher there, and, and he didn't like me, and I didn't like him. Uh, right off uh, <clears throat> the first thing that we done every morning is we had to recite a verse out of the Bible. And we we couldn't say the same one every day. We had to have a new one for every day of the week. And we couldn't say the same one very often. We had to find a different verse. But uh, he had the same verse every day. And to me, you know, that just wasn't right for him to be able to say the same one every day, but we all had to learn a new one. Or a different one. And uh, somewhere along during that year, I don't remember what time of the year, but anyway, we, our playground was down over a hill. We had several sets of steps that went down, and, and we were down there playing, and they had a bi- bike rack. And the three or four of us was over around these bikes, and some of the boys that owned the bikes and stuff were there, and and we were all looking at them, and we got back to the room <clears throat> room that day, and one of the boys told the teacher that I got on his bike and I tore it up. And I wasn't on his bike. But anyway, that teacher, he grabbed me up and whipped me for it. And after that, my, my schooling, my grades dropped off, and, and I just didn't care anymore. But... Uh, as I got into high school, I was having to miss a lot of schooling to help my mother wash, do the washing during the week, and uh, if, it was, if there was anything else going on, I'd have to miss. And I made it through the first, uh, the ninth grade and the tenth grade, and, and uh, I think somewhere around halfway into the eleventh grade, and and my. That year I had started taking algebra, and I was completely failing it. I would got an F every period, every six weeks. And uh, I was, wasn't making very good grades in the other classes, so I decided to quit, and I was 15 years old. And I quit, and at that time there wasn't no big problems with quitting. They didn't, uh, they didn't make the parents uh, sign for you to quit or anything else. So I just quit and went to work. 
Then you can give me lemonade. But anyway, when I quit school and went to work, I started working at a at a sawmill. Yep, and cut the logs, pulling them out of the woods with a team of horses, and packing the slabs off by hand. We didn't have conveyors or anything. We had to take these slabs, and we built a great big long pile of slabs, and uh, it was really heavy, hard work. But I enjoyed this this kind of work because I'd been used to it all my life. Working on a farm, you're, you're used to hard work, and it didn't bother me any. And I did that until I was 18 years old, and I still didn't have any problem with alcohol. Uh, I didn't have any problem of needing alcohol to go to a square dance on Saturday night and dance practically every dance that they had or anything like that. But I got uh, into the. I went into the military the day I was 18 years old. I joined the army and left home the next day. And uh, I went to Fort Knox. Well, I first went to Louisville and got my examination and passed that. And went to Louisville for a week, for, or went to Fort Knox for a week for for uh, orientation. And then I went to Fort Polk, Louisiana. And my birthday is the 11th of June, and when I got to Fort Polk, Louisiana, it was uh, towards the last part of June, and it was hotter than hell. And the only thing that down, was down there at that time was, at Fort Polk anyway, was sand and pine trees and hot weather. And I stayed there for eight weeks in basic training, and it was just really rough, rougher than anything that I'd uh, had had. And about halfway through that uh, basic training, I had my first real drunk. We uh, <clears throat> we had a night that we didn't have to do anything in the barracks or anything. We didn't have to clean or nothing. They gave us the night off. And uh, about six or eight of us guys, uh, along with the platoon sergeant, went over to the PX and we proceeded to drink 3.2 beer. And that's, that's not much alcohol, but it got me drunk. I don't know how much of it I drank, but along with drinking the beer, I ate pork rinds. And after I got back to the barracks with, by the, with the help of some other people, I got sick and I threw up. I sat on one commode at that time. The, the commodes in the barracks was all lined up across there. There wasn't no walls between them or nothing, but I sat on one and went from both ends, uh, puking and uh, the other job, too. And I, and finally they got me up and, and took me into a cold shower and got me sobered up enough to go to bed. And the next morning, the only thing I remember from that is I could taste them damn pork rinds, and I never eat pork rinds for a long time after that. <laughs> <clears throat> but every time throughout my drinking that I had an opportunity to drink as much as I wanted or as much as I could hold before I passed out or went to sleep at that time, I never passed out. And, uh, you know, I was said I just went to sleep. But every time that I had that opportunity, I did that. And 
there's, you know, in my drunk log, there's no ex, uh, no uh, spectacular things that ever happened, really. It's just that I'm kind of the garden variety drunk who drink on a daily basis most of the time and just drank for too damn long and became an alcoholic. I could have uh, also inherited the disease of alcoholism because they was heavy drinkers on both sides of my family. And uh, my father, he never did admit that he was an alcoholic, but he did go through a treatment program once. And he came out of that saying, it's ain't no SOB ever going to tell me that I can't drink. I fought in World War II for that privilege. And he died that way. Uh, but during my military career, it, it, every once in a while we'd have some kind of company party or somebody be going home or, or something like that. And every time I go to these parties or whatever the situation was, and I would get drunk. And uh, <clears throat> I drank. It started off I just drank occasionally, except for the parties. And as it grew, as the alcoholism grew, and I know it from now, from the time that I've spent sober and been able to look back on it, that I've, I was an alcoholic before I ever took the drink because I had all the isms. And when I started drinking, I never knew when I had enough. Uh, there was no social drinking in my life. I drank just like... Uh, I saw my dad, my uncles and aunts, and the people that that run around with dad come to his house or our house. I drank the way I saw them drink. And uh, my, uh, the disease just slowly progressed in, into our, our life. Now, I, I went to, I was stationed at Fort Meade, Maryland. Well, first I was after I left Fort Polk, Louisiana, I went to Boston, Massachusetts, and went to school for security guard. And I was classified as a top secret. Uh, I could be in any class of a top secret security. I never worked in that in that position. I've got the paperwork at home, though, where it says I can do that, but I never did it. I left there, and I went to Fort Meade, Maryland, and they didn't have no openings in that field right at the time, so I... I went into the kitchen, and I was a cook. And uh, while I was there, I had an opportunity to become a baker. I had a guy that was the sergeant, mess sergeant, and he he could just he was out of this world decorating cakes and for weddings and everything. And he offered to, to send me through school, the army, the army uh, school for bakery. And in the whole thing, and see that I got everything that I needed, and I could have had a good career. But I wasn't no baker. I didn't want nothing to do with that kind of stuff. I wanted to get out of the military and go back to Kentucky and be a, be a dairy farmer. That was one of my great uh, childhood uh, dreams that I had, <clears throat> which never did materialize. But anyway, I was a uh, cooked there until uh, I think I 
he spent 13 months at, at uh, Fort Meade, Maryland, or 19, and I spent the rest of the time in, in Italy. Uh, they decided they wanted me to go to Italy, and, and I did so. And uh, before I went to Italy, I was engaged to this young lady that, that was in the wax of the Women's Army Corps. And uh, we'd been engaged six or eight months, I guess, before I left to go over there. We'd dated for quite a while anyway. But uh, dear John let her almost beat me to Italy. So when I got over there, I was, I guess you say single again. I didn't have to worry about uh, writing home or, or writing back to her or anything. <clears throat> And I just started on normal over there. You know, I, I didn't drink a whole lot. And I met my met this other young lady that that uh, has been with me forty over forty years. Uh, when I met her, <clears throat> she didn't have any imagination of what she was getting into. Uh, she'll tell you the story of how she caught me, or I caught her, whichever way it is. But anyway, uh, I started dating her, and uh, she was in school. She was in uh, in uh, Italy with her stepfather. He was in the Air Force, and uh, we dated until I come back from Italy in in June of '60 first part of June of 60. But throughout the time that I was in Italy, I had uh, four or five times that I really got drunk. A couple of them was at her house with her parents, and I'd go there for the weekend sometimes, and uh, they'd have a party going on, and I'd get drunk, and they'd, her and her mother would put me to bed. I'd just get limber drunk and pass out or go to sleep, as I called it. But anyway... She knew that I drank. She knew that I got drunk, but she didn't know what was what she was going to get into as far as the everyday drinking. But I came back in June of '60 from uh, <clears throat> from the army, and I, I uh, went right into working with my father, who was a full-fledged alcoholic. I can call him an alcoholic because he did treat, go to treatment and. And uh, I know that he had all the symptoms. And we'd go to work uh, at the time I, when I got back. He was building a big tobacco barn and a livestock barn for a, a, an old farmer. And uh, and we, I went right down there and started working with him every day. And we we worked hard. In the afternoons we drank hard. And if we'd go to work some morning and we'd run out of something, or nails or or something like that that we needed, we'd go to Owensboro, and we might make it back to work that day, and we might not. And that's the way it went. And uh, Betty came back from uh, Italy in August, and uh, she, her folks was from Tennessee, so I went down to Tennessee to see her for a few days. And uh, and then I came back, and the same same thing 
and the drinking just got worse and worse. And uh, then I went to Mississippi in the fall of the year, and then she came up to meet my folks at Christmas that year. And uh, it was about time for her to go back to, to Mississippi, and my dad, typical alcoholic thinking, he said, uh, you've been down there to see her twice, and she's up here to see you now. said, if you all just go ahead and get married, you'll save a hell of a lot of money. So we got married. <laughs> and I know today that uh, that we did love each other at that time, but we didn't have the kind of love that we have today. Because uh, it was more, as, it, as they say, we was more in heat than we were in love. Uh, Eleven months after we were married, we had our first child. And uh, a year later, we had another one. And uh, I forget just exactly the amount of years and stuff, but we wound up with five children in just a few, months, a few years there. <clears throat> Eight, but anyway, in all this time, <laughs> in all this time, uh, my drinking just steadily got worse. And as I said, you know, I was just a garden variety drunk. I, I didn't. Uh, I worked about all the time. I was out of work some, but not a whole lot. I didn't get fired off of but one job in my whole time that I was drinking out of twenty-two and a half years. But I quit a hell of a lot of jobs because I knew the heat was coming on. And uh, I just got away from the job and got another one. It wasn't no problem. In 1969, we got introduced to AA in Al-Anon through my drinking. Uh, I was working at GE at Tell City at the time. And GE uh, decided that I needed to do something about my drinking. And they called me into the office and talked to me and gave me a phone number <clears throat> to call, and I did so. And I I started going to AA meetings, and they had one meeting a week there in Tell City at that time. And I went to these meetings on a weekly basis. I never did stop drinking, and I never did hear anything about working the 12-step program of AA. And I'm, I'm sure they talked about it, but I didn't hear it. And after a while, GE got off my back, and Betty had cooled down, too. She was on my back quite a bit by this time about my drinking, wanting me to quit and all this. But I had, uh, you know, everything had cooled off, so I quit going to AA meetings. And she had been going to Al-Anon all this time, and she quit going to Al-Anon. And we went back out there for 10 years of hell. I know today, from the time, from the, all the information I've got while I was in treatment program and, and everything that I've heard and, and read about uh, how long it takes alcohol to get out of your system while you're, or when you're drinking, is I didn't sober up in probably the last 15 years of my life of drinking. I drank a lot because I know I didn't in the last t 10 years. I never went more than a, a day, maybe a day and a half without some kind of a drink. 
So that means it wasn't out of my system at any time. And most of the time, I never was just the, the uh, down-and-out drunk, but I was at a stage of where I couldn't feel the pain of life enough. It took away, I kept enough in me to keep from having to suffer the pains that I felt from everyday living. All my life, I've never felt that I belonged anywhere. Even with, with the, all of the brothers and sisters, you know, everything could go, be going along just smooth and everything. And some little incident would happen, and everybody would start, seemed like, start picking on me. We, me and four or five of the boys was out together, other, my brothers. <clears throat> they'd start picking on me, and they'd all gang up on me. Well, why that was, I don't know. Maybe I'd done something to start it. I, I don't remember it. But it, it just it left me with a feeling, you know, that uh, they was, everybody was out to get me, and I didn't really fit in anywhere. And and I came, I, I grew up through life that way. And I I could go out and just sit by myself and just think, you know, and daydream like being a dairy farmer. And different things that I've done over my life. <clears throat> and this continued throughout my my life as I, after I was married, uh, and and our children were growing up. And by the time the children got into the, where they was in uh, ball games and stuff like this, it was almost impossible for me to do what I told them children I would do. They would tell me about an event that was coming up school or they wanted me to go with them, or scouts, or something like this, and I was telling me I'd go. And I never was there unless I was drunk. Embarrassed them, embarrassed myself. <clears throat> Wake up the next morning with the remorse and guilt of why I'd done that. I'll do better the next time. And that promised the kids that I would be there the next time. It didn't happen. There was very few events in all the, the times that my older children went to school that I did what I was supposed to be doing without being drunk or, or pretty well along. And uh, this got to eating on me bad. Uh, it really tore me up inside. And uh, they talk about that hole that we have in our stomach. And it hurts, and you don't know how to to get rid of it except drink. And it just continued on and on. And then Betty and me started to where we were. All we were, were doing as far as living as a husband and a wife was arguing and fussing and hollering about bills that wasn't being paid. And why I wasn't doing what I told the kids I would be doing with them. Why I never took her anywhere except to a beer joint or something like that. If we went out to eat anywhere, it was somewhere there was going to be booze. Everything we done was, was around booze. <clears throat> we got somewhere along in the late 70s. We got introduced to to, a, to a, 
Southern Hills. There's a counseling service in Tail City there. The doctor, I went to the doctor in uh, for my nerves and stuff, and uh, he recommended that I go to Southern Hills. But he didn't say anything about me being an alcoholic. He just recommended I go there for some counseling. And he gave me some uh, nerve pills, some uh, Librium, and he gave me one for daytime because I worked in a furniture factory around machinery and he, he didn't want me to get too far out on that thing. So he gave me one for day and one for night. <coughs> Stronger one for night to help me sleep. And I proceeded to take those things and I went to Southern Hills one time. And that counselor, I don't know where he was coming from or what, but every time that I'd tell him I didn't know why he drank, why I drank the way I did, he'd ask me another question that was the same thing. Still, why do you drink? And when I left there, I was so mad that I, Betty was with me, and I took her home, and I got out of the house and went and got drunk again because he did me no good whatsoever. <clears throat> but I continued to take those nerve pills for about a week or something like it. And uh, one day things wasn't going worth a damn, and I I was taking them nerve pills during work. And after work, I, I took them. And I was drinking dark eyes vodka and sterling beer. And sometime after I went to bed, I was I remember saying that I was going to bed that night. But sometime after that, and the next morning, I wound up in uh, Perry County Memorial Hospital, strapped down to the bed, and don't remember a thing about it. Betty said I was getting up, swatting r- r- bugs off of the walls and, and uh, in the bathroom and everything and, and doing all this, and I remember nothing about it. <coughs> she had a neighbor and a co-worker that right up the street... And she went and got him, or had one of the kids go get him and help her get me to the hospital. And when I got out of that hospital that day, the doctor diagnosed me as having an allergic reaction to the medication I was on. Nothing about drinking whatsoever. When I got back home, I threw them nerve pills in the commode and flushed them down the commode and went on my drinking for about another year and a half. In 1979... Sometime in that year, we met some people from St. Mary's Alcohol Treatment Program at that time. And uh, and we went to a function that they had out at St. Mark's School. They was up there telling about uh, the program they had. And I talked with Andy and Greg. And I, I, don't, I didn't know at the time that I got anything out of it. But I reckon I did. But in November of that year, the 1st of November, when the Tri-State Convention came around, uh, it was at Evansville that year, and Betty wanted us to go, so I agreed to go. But it turned out we couldn't go except on Saturday. There just wasn't enough funds to get a hotel room and babysitter and everything. So we went down on Saturday, and... uh, I don't remember too much about it except the uh, 
banquet speaker. I mean, I remember going to meetings that day and stuff, but there wasn't nothing that stood out to me except for the banquet speaker, and it was Clancy. And he got up there and was talking and telling jokes, and everybody was laughing and carrying on, and I didn't see a damn bit, damn thing funny about what he was saying. And I didn't get a thing out of his talk. I still don't like that man's talk today. I have heard him give, I think, two pretty good talks. He got out of himself enough that, I, that uh, he didn't bore the hell out of me. But uh, I just didn't get nothing out of it. And then <clears throat> the last of that month, well, I, I was back in AA but this time, or going to meetings. I wasn't in AA. I was going to meetings at once a week. In, Ju- in February of that year, I had gotten fired from the only job that I ever got fired from. And I told the guy that fired me, it was at noon, just before noon on Friday, and he came and handed me my paycheck and said, Joe, this is the last paycheck I'll be giving you. You don't work here anymore. And I got mad at him, and I walked out a door at the end of the building. and It had about three or four steps to the ground, and I missed all the steps. I fell right out there head first, right on my face. And I was mad at him because he had fired me for not for drinking on the job. And I had been at work that morning, and and uh, and I left about eight thirty or nine o'clock to go put in the application again at GE because I was tired of that job. And when I got back, and I don't know what time it was. But I don't even remember what I'd done from the time I got back there until he gave me that paycheck and told me I didn't work there anymore. But yes, I was mad at him. You know, it was his fault. Betty came down where I was and got me up, took me home, grabbed my paycheck, and said, you're not going to drink this one up, and took off and went back to work. And I stayed there that afternoon. And my our oldest son come in from school that that afternoon, and I jumped all over him, and and because uh, of the things he was doing, it, it was leading up to his being an alcoholic also, and drug addict. He went to leave the house and, and take off and go tell Mama about what he was doing. He was leaving. He wasn't coming back. And I, I guess I knew that something was going to be done about that situation because I told my daughter, I said, you call Mama and tell her to come home and take me to the treatment center. <clears throat> well, she wouldn't take off from work and get me, but she did come home that night when she got off from work, and she brought me down to Evansville, or took me down to Evansville to the St. Mary's. And I went through a 21-day treatment program there, uh, really about 25 days considering the detox and, uh, that I was in. I, I went in on Tuesday, I think it was, and was, went into the treatment program on Saturday. And during that, that uh, treatment program, I, I listened and I, and I tried to 
to uh, comprehend what was going on. But I still had this thought in the back of my head that I'm going to learn how to drink and be able to drink without causing all the problems that I caused. And when I get out of here, I'll be able to go back to drinking and not cause all these problems, not be in the trouble I'm in. <coughs> but I, I left there on the 21st day of December, just before Christmas. And my counselor told me after I went back after my six-week checkup, he said, Joe, I didn't think you'd last until you got home. And uh, I can understand now why he told me that. At the time, I just, you know, laughed it off. But I hadn't really done anything or really talked about anything in that program, in treatment program, to really guarantee that I was wanting to stay sober. And, uh, <clears throat> but I did pick, pick a sponsor while I was in that treatment program. I sponsored Larry W. from Grandview, was chairing the meetings at Seton Manor that month. And uh, I think it was the second week that I went over there and I asked him to be my sponsor. He's still my sponsor today. And uh, once I got out of that treatment program, he started helping me try to understand the steps, and he worked with me. He called me up. He told me right off that I'm not going to come and get you and take you to meetings. <coughs> I'll tell you where the meetings are, and you can get there on your own. He said, now, if I'm going by your house and going to a meeting somewhere, I'll stop and pick you up. But I'm not going to come and get you and take you to a meeting. So <clears throat> we started going to a lot of meetings. If he was going up somewhere around where I was or a, a, a father or something like that, he'd stop by and pick us up and we'd go to a meeting. If we were, <clears throat> if, if we, he was going to Owensboro or somewhere to Evansville or something like that, I'd go down to his house and, and uh, we'd go to the meeting. And we'd come back a lot of times to his house and sit and drink coffee, and he'd read stuff out of the big books and talking about what, what we were talking about that night. <clears throat> and I still didn't understand. I couldn't comprehend what that big book was saying. Somewhere along in my second year of sobriety or something like it, we were going over to, to Boonville. The treatment program had moved up to Boonville. And we were going over there quite a bit. And Jenny R. from, from Evansville uh, gave me a set of tapes. There's four tapes, big book discussion tapes of Charlie and Joe. It's the first tapes that uh, was taped of them doing a big book discussion, or big book study. <clears throat> anyway, I sat down with those, and Betty sat down with me one day, and we started listening to those tapes. Had a big book, and I started learning what that big book was saying to me. And that's where my program turned around, and I started working the steps to where they they worked in my life and got me sober instead of just dry and being around AA. <coughs> and even though I hadn't had a drink. And since November the 27th of 79, I really didn't sober up, sober up for a year and a half, two years, as far as 
through sobriety because I wasn't finding what the program said. That first step for a long time in my life, I read the first, I read that whole step, but the first part of it was the only thing that pertained to me, that I was powerless over alcohol. The rest of it, I was doing everything I was supposed to be doing. It hadn't settled in me yet that I had treated my family the way I had, that I had stole from them. I hadn't put the clothes on my kids back that they needed. I hadn't gave them the things that they needed in school the right way or nothing. And the second step, you know, I wasn't crazy. It didn't really pertain to me. Although I'd read it and it was just part of it. And the third step, making the decision to turn my will and life over to God, I didn't understand that. I didn't understand what I was supposed to turn over. <coughs> but as I worked this, these steps into my life over a period of years, I found out the answers to all those things. I found out that taking an inventory the way the big book says, writing it down on paper and going to someone else and talking to this and talking to God about it, and doing the things that the big book says to do is the only way that those steps is going to work in my life and give me true sobriety and do what I need to do to keep me sober. And over the years now, I, I have I've worked. I've been able to make amends in my family and my creditors that, that went along with me throughout the years. That's one thing that happened to me quick, though, in my sobriety. When I went through treatment program and got quit drinking in the first three months of my sobriety, my, my paycheck was guaranteed three times. They had never done anything. I guess they didn't figure it would do any good before I sobered up. But after I sobered up, they guaranteed my pay, and I started started paying them bills. I mean, I'd been paying them when I felt like I could, but they they got their money on time then. <coughs> but yeah, <you know>, <coughs> I made just started making those amends, and life has been great. Uh, Betty and I have got a, a life today, uh, not only. As husband and wife, we're true friends. She's the best friend I've got today. Uh, we uh, we worked in our early in our sobriety of, of learning to be able to talk to each other again without fighting, and that don't mean it happens every day. Uh, so you know, some days one or the other of us is in a bad mood, and the other one says something and. And there, there it comes for a while, but, you know, it's no permanent situation anymore. <clears throat> it doesn't long for a prolonged, I mean, doesn't last for a prolonged period of time like it used to. But, but we've been able to, to experience, I think, in, in, in my opinion, I think we've experienced every promise that the big book tells us that we'll be able to experience. Maybe not to the fullest, 
Maybe not the way somebody else has done it. But every one of those promises has come true in my life some way. Uh, you you go through life with, with just in doom and despair. <clears throat> and then you start waking up to the fact, you know, all these little things that you used to think was happening to you because somebody was picking on you, somebody had it in for you, or whatever, and all these things start changing around the other way. And as far as the uh, spiritual experience happening in my life, you know, early in my sobriety, I waited for that to happen. And one day, somewhere along the line, I heard that, you know, some of us never have a real spiritual experience such as a burning bush or something like that in our life. It's just a slow, gradual change of mental attitude in us to accept that we have to live our life according to the way other people live their life. And that don't mean that I have to do everything that you have to do. But I got to accept that things are going to happen in my life on God's terms and not mine. And I have to, <clears throat> if things go, start going bad in my life, instead of me grabbing a hold of it, which I do a hell of a lot even yesterday, and trying to fix it, it's just back off and wait, and it'll fix itself with God's help and my foot footwork in trying to do the right thing. Today, uh, the children are all, well, I'd say pretty well to the fact that they, they have forgiven me for the things that I've done wrong in their life. They don't bring it up a whole lot anymore about things that I, I did that I shouldn't have done. They don't blame me like they used to. There are still problems in, in some areas, but that's the same way as our marriage. Uh, you, you were never, ever going to agree totally on on anything. I can't tell them what they have to believe and what they can't, can't believe and stuff. I've got to just accept it. <clears throat> They're going to live their life the way they want to live their life. And... Uh, and all I can do is live my life and agree with them the best I can. Our youngest daughter didn't see me drunk a lot. I think she was 10 years old when I, when I sobered up. And I guess that was, was a lot to 10 years of her life. But, uh, one night, a while before I sobered up, she came and kissed her grandma, her mama goodnight, and I was sitting there. I hadn't passed out or, or went off to sleep yet. Anyway, I said, well, what about me? And she turned around and looked at me and said, Daddy, you stink. And that hurts. But she, uh, she, uh, <coughs> she has went through the out of teen program. She went to a lot of out and on meetings before she got old enough for out of teen. She's been in the program up until the last five or six years. She was active in 
Al-Anon, or Alateen and Al-Anon. She did get, she's gotten slack here in the last few years. Part of it's her job. Part of it's uh, the husband's. She's married the second time. But she's still in this program, and she's always been Daddy's little girl, even today. My oldest daughter, or our oldest daughter, she, while she was in the Air Force, she tried drinking for a while, and, and she still drank some today. But it, while she was in the Air Force, she thought she might be an alcoholic, and she went to AA for a while. Our second child, Joe, a lot of you know him. He's got 13 years sobriety now. The first eight years of my sobriety, he gave us a hell of a lot of problems. And our our second boy, well, our third child, she's she's had a lot of problems, health problems over the years. She started even when she was young. <clears throat> and then she got straightened out pretty well. And then just after I got sobered up, not too long after, I forget just a year, but it can fill you in on dates on things. But anyway... She had a thyroid problem and had to have part of her thyroid taken out. And she's had problems ever ever since. And uh, Patsy's Patsy, that's all I can say. We can't get her to... She went into Alateen for a little while and, and she tried out and on. And things didn't work out too good for her. But anyway... She's, she's came around within the last year, year and a half, and she's doing a whole lot better than she used to. She was awful hot-headed and set in her ways, and she still is, uh, but like I say, she's doing better. Our, our, our second boy, our fourth child, <coughs> he's been a problem child all of his life. Now he's not so, so much, but uh, he, in the school he started causing problems at an early, early age. And uh, right after I sobered up, we had to put him in a foster home for a while because he just got to where he wouldn't listen to us at all. And he was going to, doing things, got in trouble with the law and, and a little bit of everything. And he, <clears throat> he was in a foster home for a year and a half, two years. Anyway, he's like I say, he's he's doing fairly well now. He's out on his own, and and uh, he's uh, had several different affairs with with the women, and uh, I think right now he's with the one he's with right now is he's been with the longest that he has any of them. He can't hold a job for any long period of time. Uh, there's always some excuse, but uh, and uh, and I already talked about our our youngest child. But now she's she's a beautician. She went to beauty college, and then after a while of being a beautician, her and her husband decided to start being truckers, and they're on the road across country, uh, truck drivers now. <clears throat> we don't know exactly where they're at right now. Uh, 
they just left Springfield, Missouri, where they was in some schooling with their trucking, some kind of classes that they give periodically. But on the, the leaving there, they were <clears throat> while they were there, the FBI called uh, the trucking company they were with. They were with and, and to, uh, asked them to get volunteers to come to to bring blood to New York from different places over the countryside and maybe deliver bodies from New York to wherever they needed to go. So we just it's kind of a touchy situation, you know, them having to do something like that. <clears throat> last last week one day, the middle part of last week, because of construction work in Washington D.C., they drove right down the street in front of the Pentagon. That's how close it was. Well, I don't know. I, I think I've about run out of things to talk about. I know that sobriety today, to me, is the most important thing in my life. Because if I don't live sober, I don't have a marriage, I don't have a family, I don't have nothing. I don't have the friends that I have sitting out there in, in front of me today and all over the, the United States. I've been to AA in a lot of different places, not, not a whole lot, but several. And it's all the same, this little difference, you know, the meetings are all a little different. But it all has the same meaning. If you work the 12-step program of Alcoholics Anonymous, according to the big book, and do the things that you think that God wants you to do today, everything's going to be all right. Thank you.